personally, I always used to think, and I think a lot of other people held the same belief, that it was better for me to do individual focused work remotely because I wouldn't have all the distractions and I'd just be able to sit down and get my work done whenever and wherever I wanted to do. And one of the things we've discovered through this study is that it's in fact the other way around. People are more focused and pay more attention to individual focused work tasks when they are around other people than when they're working remotely. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Future is Remote. I am your host, the self-proclaimed remote evangelist, Kenneth Hellam. And with me today in the studio, and what a beautiful studio, I have Ben Hamley. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to see you. The pleasure is truly mine. Um, it looks like you are in Singapore. Correct. Yeah, correct assumption. The Marina Bay Sands in the background here. I'm actually coming to you from our office in Capital Spring in the middle of Singapore. So I am acutely aware of the irony of joining you on a remote podcast from the office, but uh, I can't wait to tell you more about it. So the, the funny thing here is that Ben is a work futurist and collaboration designer. It's great to be able to invent your own titles at JLL. But I had to Google JLL. In, in 30 seconds or less, Ben, what is JLL? I'll try for three words or less. JLL is really about where, how, and why people work. So the where, the how, and the why are the really important three words there. And once you did that Google, you probably discovered we're a real estate business. We're a Fortune 500 company. We've been around for a long time. And traditionally speaking, when you think of JLL, you think of uh, commercial real estate leases, capital markets transactions, people brokering deals, buying and selling whole buildings, and the like. And the reality is that's still a big part of our business. But we go end to end. We go all the way from structuring the investments and the funds that go into buying whole buildings, all the way down to the occupier services for the people who lease those offices and workplaces. And we even do a lot more asset enhancement work, working with developers who are trying to improve the value of whole precincts and buildings. And increasingly, we're working in the space around understanding the future of work and how people experience the workplace, wherever those workplaces are. So all the way from the, the capital that creates the buildings and the skyscrapers you see in the cities you know and love, all the way through to the experience of the people working in them every day. And that's really where the irony turns into the topic of today's episode, because we're not going to talk about large buildings, but we are going to talk about office spaces. In fact, yeah. the title of today's episode is The Neurosirens of Hybrid Work. And, and I looked at some of your posts, and some of it really looks like sci-fi, right? You have strapped EEGs. EEGs, yeah. EEGs to people's heads. And you're measuring stuff. We're measuring their brains. I mean, I don't mean to make that sound even more intimidating, uh, but the reality is that uh, this is, in fact, what we're doing. So an EEG, for those uninitiated in neuroscience jargon and acronyms, stands for electroencephalography, which is just as much of a mouthful. As <laughs> yeah, that, that helps a lot. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, haven't, I haven't really cleared anything up there. But let, let's break it down. Graphy, like uh, 
you know, choreography or calligraphy is about writing. Electro sounds like electricity. It's what it is. And enceph, like uh, encephalitis, is the swelling of the brain. Enceph refers to the brain. So what we're doing here with an EEG is graphing the electrical activity of the brain. That's essentially what that is. That's what those devices do. And um, they are really sensitive electrodes that passively receive the signals that are generated by your brain activity. So as you're thinking, the neurons in your brain are firing, those little tiny actions are generating chemical electrical signals. And as they all combine, you can hear them on the scalp with these little sensors. Uh, that's what an EEG does. And the EEG technology that we've been using, it's been around for decades, but it's now at a point where it's portable enough and accurate enough that you can do neuroscience outside of a traditional laboratory environment. And that's what we've been doing over the last few months here. So why would a commercial real estate company do that? Well, I don't know if you realize, but over the last couple of years, everyone's been going remote and we've been thinking about how we can make work happen outside of the default locations that we're used to. And in many ways, that's because we were forced to. There was a global pandemic. And yeah, I heard of it. Yeah, yeah, I know. And uh, obviously it was, it was terrible, but at the same time, it caused a huge rethink of the way we work, where we work, why we work in those places and so on. And what we realized is that there is still very much a role for well-designed spaces that enable people to do things that they can't do on their own or might not even want to do on their own. We don't believe the office should be a default anymore. And it has been for pretty much up until two years ago. So for us, what we've been really fascinated in is understanding what makes a space a destination space. What makes the space engaging? What makes the space relaxing? What makes a space something that can really be the best kind of space for you to do your best work? And how does the work you do and where you do it change that cognitive performance? So can we design hybrid work strategies with more science behind them? That's, that's really why we're interested in this. And, and again, why would you be doing that? What's the, what's the end goal? Well, I think the end goal is when we think about the people who come into these spaces and work in these spaces, there's a huge amount of service that goes into making that an enjoyable space from the amenities, from you know the, the way the space is designed and so on. But for them as an individual, they don't necessarily have the tools beyond their own calendar and their own sense of whether they're feeling drained that day or not to, to know which spaces are best for them. Everyone is different. Everyone has their own you know, unique brain, just as unique as your fingerprint. But uh, the ability for you to understand how working in a particular pattern, working in particular spaces, uh, working at particular times of day or days of the week might affect the type of work that you do, those insights have never been available to people. So you decided to strap an EEG on, on people's heads and, and go for it. So, so you, you've done a, a real study on this, right? What, what were the parameters? What, what were you looking for? 
That's right. So what we were looking for is whether or not there is actually any difference between coming together and working together in person as compared to working remotely. Now, now that's really interesting. Yeah, exactly. Because that's where the, the real science of hybrid comes in. Because we all talk about this and we all have opinions. This is better or that is better. But but end of the day, it's just been opinions. You now have yeah. the science on this. Well, yeah, it's an emerging science, I have to say. This is the first of its kind in the world, and it's a start towards a science. There's going to be a lot more questions, perhaps, than answers that come out of this, but some of the most interesting things have actually been the counterintuitive findings. You know, myself personally, I always used to think, and I think a lot of other people held the same belief, that it was better for me to do individual focused work remotely because I wouldn't have all the distractions and I'd just be able to sit down and get my work done whenever and wherever I wanted to do. And one of the things we've discovered through this study is that it's in fact the other way around. People are more focused and pay more attention to individual focused work tasks when they are around other people than when they're working remotely. That's super interesting because the entire industry is saying the opposite, no? Well, I think most people feel like the distractions and maybe the serendipity of being in a workplace or being around other people can be counterproductive. It can, it can be distracting. And I think that's absolutely true. Distractions can come from notifications as well, not just from people. But or children or, or the dog running around or yeah, knowing that you need to do the laundry or, or that guitar in the corner. Exactly. But when you think about the feelings of being in it together with other people or teaming or having a shared goal or a shared objective that you're all working towards, these are, these are work styles more than they are neuroscientific artifacts. But I think there's something in what we've discovered that is if you really hone in the style of work, then there are reasons to come together with others to do that work, even if that work is individual work, because you, you get into the you get into the flow, you get into the zone, even if you're working individually. And, and you're able to see that with sufficient scientific proof. Yeah, absolutely right. So the I mean the EEGs that you were referring to, uh, they are 14 channel sensor systems. They cover most areas of the brain. Um, they do make you look like a bit of a cyborg, right? But they're not intended for everyday use. So we don't, we don't expect people to wear them to every single meeting or wear them around the office all day. In fact, there's a completely different program around everyday use EEG, which we'll talk about more later. But what they give you is enough scientific rigor and, and accurate readings of that brain activity to be able to compare your uh, differences in these different conditions relative to your baseline. So like your baseline of relaxation, stress, engagement, and everything else might be different to mine. And there's enough sensitivity in these devices that we can, we can see when that baseline changes. And that's really what these findings are reporting is not an average level of attention, but a average variation of attention compared to people's individual baselines. So, so this is clearly a surprise for, for me and probably for many. Um, have the studies showed anything else? 
Yeah, well, it's actually shown a few other interesting findings, more to do with the time of day that we do the work and in general, the locations that we do the work. So I, I talked about uh, the office before, but when we think about the types of work that we are doing every day, you, you could think about those kinds of work in maybe three broad categories that we did for the purposes of this study, because not all work is created equal, right? Sometimes you have to do invoices. Sometimes you're doing creative thinking. Sometimes you're recording a podcast. And those are all different kinds of work. And I, I would argue that some of them are more engaging kinds of work than other kinds of work. Yes, like invoices. Um, exactly. The best. The, the pinnacle <laughs> of creative achievement. Uh, but when is the right time to do that work? And is there any science behind uh, whether you should do invoices or admin in the morning or in the afternoon? And, and what does that look like? So what we found is particularly when it came to creative thinking tasks, so, you know, like a design thinking exercise or coming up with new ideas for a problem or any sort of creativity thinking. Uh, in the morning, creative tasks were better when they were done remotely, but the reverse was true in the afternoon. So people showed higher levels of engagement and creative output when they were together with each other in the afternoon, but they were more engaged and more creative so to speak, when they were doing it remotely in the morning. Any hypothesis as to why? It's a surprising one, even for me. I, I don't necessarily have one to hand, but if I think about my natural energy and my natural working style, I definitely do prefer to do focused work in the morning. Because I, I just, maybe it's just me, but I feel more focused. Um, I should be talking about my own scientific findings here rather than my own opinions, but... Um, <laughs> I, asked, I asked about an opinion this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but, you know, I think when it comes to the afternoon, depending on a few factors, like whether you had a big lunch, whether it's been a long day, whether it's hotter in the afternoon or not, uh, and a few other things that contribute to you know, the siesta effect. Let's just call it that. It's not a real thing. It's not real science, but let's coin it now, given that you're calling me from Spain. Uh, <laughs> the siesta effect. Maybe being together with other people is some kind of mitigation against that. You know, when there's other people in the room, you, you feed off each other's energy. You can get each other amped up a little bit, and, uh, and that helps. Whereas in the morning, we've, we've got a bit more cognitive resources at our disposal. There's a bit more in the tank. So we're prepared to get through or burn through the extra effort that's required to do that creative thinking work uh, remotely. I can probably echo that just with my own experience as well, with, with no science backing this one. I, I'll usually wake up with lots of great ideas. And, and that's my personal space where I need to kind of work through that, document that, um, articulate that. And then... Yeah. Say after a lunch, back in the days where I did go to an office, I would love to go on a whiteboard with, with yeah. another individual, with a team, and, and really get creative together. But but that was more physical work to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So th those things, uh, you know, the insights that I think we can apply to the choices we make about hybrid. Like we said at the outset here, what we're what we're trying to do is create some 
science-based recommendations for how you might structure your day. And if you are going to work in a role that's fully remote and you have the choice of where you might go, when would you choose to go? When should you set those meetings? Should you schedule your workshops for the afternoons or should you prefer, you know, if you're going to do them, do them in the morning if they have to be remote? One of the other really interesting findings was that overall people were less bored and more engaged when they were together with other people. Now, I don't necessarily find that to be a surprising finding, but it's a statistically significant finding. There's a, there's a statistically significant difference between people's levels of engagement and levels of boredom when they're with other people. And Ben, Ben, when you say together, uh, in this case, you mean physically together, have you also measured togetherness over, say, Zoom or other collaboration tools? Well, that is, in fact, uh, how we did the study. So when I say together, I mean physically in the presence of other people, like you could reach out and touch them on the shoulder. That's that kind of together. Um, To keep the tasks comparable to each other so that we could actually generate these findings, every participant did the same task, albeit a slightly different variation of the task so that they couldn't have just practiced it and therefore were better at it. Um, It was actually different content every time, but they did the same task together in the same room as each other. And then remotely as in, in separate rooms, isolated, uh, you know, by themselves, right. But via teams. So for the creative thinking task, they were using physical post-it notes in a room with people Uh, remotely. They were doing that on Miro and via a team's call. Got it. Yeah. But I think, you know, what about the metaverse? What about VR? Like there's a number of other types of ways that we engage with people that start to simulate or approximate being together in different ways. And I'm really interested to know whether that has any kind of effect. I'm also really interested to know what sorts of working patterns rather than individual tasks at times of day, working patterns have on people's long-term attention and stress. Because some of the uh, research I've been reading, not ours, but supporting research in the same space, shows that if you're doing any kind of meeting, whether you're together or doing it on Teams, and you're doing those meetings back to back to back, after about three or four of those meetings, your cognitive performance and stress levels kind of drop off a cliff. You get to a point where you cannot recover, really. Even if you do, you're probably not going to recover back to where you were at the start of the day. One other thing I would say... um, which I, which I also found kind of interesting is when it comes to the last type of task, we've talked about individual focused work. We've talked about creative thinking work. Uh, one of the other tasks we had people complete was a learning and development seminar. So essentially listen to uh, a presentation, complete a comprehension questionnaire at the end, ask any questions you wanted to at the trainer. Standard learning and development experience most people are familiar with. Uh, That was by far the highest levels of frustration, highest levels of boredom and lowest levels of attention when people were together in the office with each other. No way. Yeah. Again, I would have guessed the opposite. Yeah. Don't do training in person. That's That's the finding. I mean, that, that's a big generalization. Maybe it's not that, that broad, but people were more focused, less frustrated and less bored when they did L and D 
remotely. Huh. Yeah. So there's a couple of hypotheses you could have for that. One is something to do with maybe mind wandering or, you know, if you're in the room and you're watching the presentation, you notice a plane flying outside the window and you, your attention drifts. It's a lot easier for that to occur in a training room than it is if you're watching that training on a screen because your eyes are trained on the screen for that entire duration. And so, you know, to some extent, the signals that we're picking up of you attending to something might actually just be you locking onto the screen and paying attention to the screen. So, you know, this is where the, the neuroscience and the cognitive science and the psychology of work all kind of interplay because what we're seeing in the brain might not necessarily tell us the whole story. You might be paying attention to something, but you might not be interested in it. You might not be engaged in it. You might actually just be paying attention to the screen, not the content, if that makes sense. Hmm. So focused work in the office, creative work in the morning remote, in the afternoon in the office. Yeah. And learning and development remote. Yeah. Huh. That remote. Yeah. And perhaps even more interesting as well is that uh, uh, when the environment matches your preference, you perform better. So this, ah. this one kind of supports the theory of choice, right? If, if you are forcing people to come back against their will, or you're forcing them to come into an environment that they don't want to be in, that's, that's bad news. That's counterproductive. We probably didn't need to explain that with science, but we can now. So we can see that when people are in an environment that matches uh, them, their preference, they perform better. They're more engaged. How much variance was there on an individual level? Uh, a little bit, but all of these all of these findings, when you put them all together, and we look at how much we might expect that to vary just by pure chance. Um, this was more than that. So each individual is, is different. I would say across a population, you probably have about 20% variance in, in how much it affects some people compared to others. But all of these effects that I'm talking about, are when you take that all together, it, the whole average is, is more than you would expect just by chance. But it's a good point too, because like we, we can talk about these findings at the, the high level Right, the average variation level. Um, but we also need to be aware of the fact that there is natural variation, very complexity, and this will affect some people more than it will affect others. So this was the first of several studies. What's next? What's next? Well, I mentioned to you before that we had also run a pilot where we were looking at how people can use these tools for themselves. So rather than, as, as you put it, uh, strap an EEG onto their heads, which sounds, <laughs> sounds very intimidating, kind of blade runnery, but uh, uh, it really should it really shouldn't be. They, these things are they're just devices, right? They sh they don't hurt. I was half joking then. I used to <laughs> meditate actually with a Muse band, which oh, yeah. is an earlier version of uh, of the technology that you're using. Yeah, Muse has been around for a little while. Uh, the tech that uh, we've been working with Emotive, they've been making these devices now for over 10 years. So in many ways they were around before Muse, but there's a few others that are in the space uh, that do this kind of stuff. And I think what's actually you know even more interesting is how quickly that whole space is developed in, in 
brain computer interface, we're not just talking about EEGs now, there's companies out there that are looking at direct implantable sensors. Uh, and we're not going anywhere near that right now, but uh, it's certainly an area that's growing in uh, attention and interest. Uh, but coming back to the point around the, the other pilot, so these devices that I've got here, uh, these are essentially just little headphones. Uh, these are the most recent ver variation of the Emotive EEG platform called the MN8, and they are just Bluetooth headphones. They have a little ear strap, a little ear loop that goes over the back of your ear, and a little EEG sensor inside the earbud, and it can scan your brain from inside your ear canal. And uh, I probably shouldn't have put it that way either because that sounds more intimidating than it is too. But, <laughs> but it is uh, just the same as any other ordinary pair of Bluetooth headphones. You can listen to music, right. you can take calls, has a microphone in it, but it can also give you insights into your attention or cognitive stress levels throughout the day. And is this something that is available, scalable on a individual level? Is it something I could buy and use? Yeah, absolutely is. And, and so what we're looking at now is how do we make this a part of a workplace's well-being amenities in the same way that uh, an organization might provide you with a health and wellness program and, and an insurance program that gives you access to certain extras. Maybe you can get a massage or you can get some dental treatments. Maybe you can also get some uh, insights into your own personal cognitive performance throughout the day. And of course, that data is yours. It's only yours. And it's for you to interpret and use and understand in the same way as you might use an Apple Watch or a Fitbit to count your steps. These kinds of devices can just give you a level of insight into your patterns of attention, cognitive load, cognitive stress throughout the day. And then you can start to make more informed decisions about how and where and why you do the work you do. Now that's super interesting. Yeah, and I think it makes it just more accessible too, because this is something that you know we can do these trials and these studies that we've been talking about, but they do they require time, they require a lot more um, sort of experimental controls. But for the first time now, we're actually able to not just take it out of the lab, but just give it to people as in the course of their everyday life and give people actual real insights into how they're feeling and. You know, when, when we think about all of the learnings that have come from the last few years, I think one of the biggest has been the amount of complexity and overwhelm leading to burnout that has come from having to juggle so many moving parts, right? And it's not only am I safe and, you know, where do I work and do I have a job, but it's also like, how do I now manage when and where I go, and if I'm going to stay remotely, do I stay in the city or do I go over here or how do I connect with my teams? We've had to rethink all different aspects of our work, and that's been incredibly cognitively taxing for a lot of people. So I think it's time that we were able to give people more insight and uh, empower them to make more informed decisions about what actually works for them. And, and to use that comment, maybe to start rounding it off, as a workplace futurist, cool title, by the way, Thank How? You. What are some of the what are some of the shifts you believe you're going to be experiencing in the next couple of years? Well, so as we've been talking about today, there's a few counterintuitive findings 
like coming together to do individual work actually seems to be a better way to do it. Uh, working on creative work in the afternoon, it's better when you do it together. And also you know, there are a variety of other environments and, and types of work that working remotely is better for too. But when I think about how we might design the workplace of the future, I think there's enough evidence to show that people want to have spaces that they can interact with others and, and do interesting work. They don't want that to be the spaces that they're familiar with or used to. They don't want to come all the way to the office or whatever workplace it is just to have a meeting with someone in a standard meeting room with four chairs and a table. Uh, what they want are spaces that are vibrant, that are destinations in a way, that are spaces that they want to go to, spaces that are worthy of the commute. And so I think as our clients and companies around the world start to rethink hybrid in the long run, I think what you'll start seeing are much more deliberate destination spaces. They're, they're workplaces that are designed to be something that you come for. In, in just like traveling, you, know, you, you are choosing to go on a journey to this particular place to meet these particular people for this particular thing, and it should be fun. So we're going to put, I think, more effort into making those places really engaging destinations for either deep work or collaborative thinking or even what we're doing today, maybe putting together some content and, and doing some more interactive storytelling. Not, not standard desks, not standard meeting rooms, not the office of the pre-2020s. Office of the 90s. Yeah, exactly. All right, Ben, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. This has been surprising and insightful for me and uh, and I bet for all of the listeners. You can read more about Ben in the show notes. I will also link to the article uh, once that is live. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Ben Hamley. Thanks, Kenneth. Speak to you soon.